Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion. Unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab grown diamond bands, all hand finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. (laughs) (laughs) hey if you're looking for a nice place on the internet to kick up your feet maybe watch some horror movies play around with some fun flash fiction competitions and meet a whole bunch of cool people mutants vampires werewolves and other excelente mutantes and other horror loving wholesome folks all of whom are extremely attractive of the inner and outer variety then head on down to the Hawk and Cleaver Facebook group over at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Hawk and Cleaver. Today's episode is The Wrong Impression, written by Carolyn O'Brien and narrated by Manny Real Guy. Clint was 12 years old when he was first punched in the face. The burning, throbbing sensations he felt in his cheek were definitely unexpected. The force caused him to stumble backward and he fell on his bum. He has seen fistfights on television. The puncher would take the initial shot and the punch E would appear to be infuriated, prompting him or her to retaliate. But the pain Clint felt was physical and he was reluctant to fight back and risk another blow. He also felt a bit disoriented and needed a few minutes before standing. Was it possible the actors and television were only pretending to punch one another? He scuttled in reverse and leaned his back against a tree. His bully laughed and called him Nancy, although he didn't understand what that even meant. Perhaps the guy's sister was named Nancy and he didn't like her very much? Whatever the case, he thought it best not to argue. Clint West was the youngest of three boys. His brothers, Wayne and Stuart, were out of the house and married by the time he turned five. His mother called him a blessing, but his father called him a mistake. 
Mrs. West hoped that a new baby would rekindle her husband's love for his family, but instead, Clint's father left not long after the older boys moved out. Mrs. West was understandably overprotective and overbearing, considering Clint was the only one she had to dote on, but her actions only exacerbated her son's gullibility. While Clint sat there resting by the tree, he recalled the time he hit himself over the head with a bottle. At that time, he was reenacting the scene from a comedy sketch he saw live at the Mountaintop Theatre. The bottle didn't shatter like it did in the play, it didn't even crack. He only managed to give himself a lump so large that his skin split. Live and learn, he thought. He shook his head and returned to the present. He reached into his breast pocket and retrieved a pack of chewing gum. He unwrapped a stick and folded it into his mouth, then winced when he bit his swollen inner cheek. He would have to chew carefully. Eventually, he pushed himself to his feet and headed towards home. As he approached Bella's gaming resort, he hesitated. Clint decided he deserved a treat, something to take his mind off his woes and his stiffening jaw. He sauntered up the ramp in front of Bella's and pulled the heavy glass door open. A bell jingle jangled announcing his presence, and Kelly glanced his way with a friendly smile. Kelly worked at Bella's. She was quite knowledgeable about video games. In fact, she recommended the game Twisted when he was there looking for a gift for his mother. The puzzle game was a hit. Kelly was also pretty, but he knew that pretty girls always had boyfriends. He walked past the idle games, or clicker games as he called them, turned right at aisle three. He wasn't interested in the simulation, puzzle, sports, or racing categories. He strolled past a display of role-playing games, then paused and took a step back. Not seeing anything of interest, he moved to the wall of action-adventure and strategy games. After pulling a fistful of loose change from his pocket, he crouched near the floor. While cupping the silver coins in the palm of his left hand, he used his right index finger to separate them as he counted. His vision drifted to the high-top sneakers that came to a halt next to him. He looked up and the wearer of the shoes squatted by his side. Which one are you thinking of buying? The boy next to Clint asked, his head gesturing to the row of video games in front of them. Depends, said Clint. Want to chip in? The boy held out his hand, Vern. The moment the boy shook hands was the moment they decided to stick together. They had different upbringings and on the surface they seemed like an odd couple. Vern was an only child, he exuded confidence and many saw him as a natural leader. His parents were both employed by the state and were able to provide him with everything he asked for. The boy's love of video games was their first connecting link. They spent numerous hours playing and babbling, talking to themselves more than to each other. They soon discovered the world of co-op games. One day, while their avatars were attempting to defeat the weapon wizard, the final boss, Clint began to get frustrated. He kept getting distracted. Vern was sustaining too much damage in the battle, and Clint often had to stop fighting in order to heal him. He muttered that he could do a better job at defeating the behemoth himself. Vern was appalled. Disappointed his friend wasn't as insightful as himself. He would have to enlighten the guy. He paused the game and turned toward Clint. The avatars on the screen froze and Clint sighed. What's the problem? He scowled. I thought we were a team. I'm trying to save the one life you have left. An awkward silence hung in the air for several seconds and Clint realised that he must have said the last comment out loud. Sorry. Of course I appreciate your help. The summer Clint turned 13, his mother was diagnosed with a fatal illness. Neighbours took turns checking in on them to aid Clint with her care. 
The boy did an amazing job tending to her basic needs. One day, when Mrs. Walton from next door knocked on the front door and there was no answer, she peered through the window to see Clint clasping his mother's limp hand. As she assumed, Clint's mother had passed, and there was no doubt the boy had been traumatised by such a tragic event. Clint stayed with Vern's family the two nights immediately following the funeral. After that, Vern pleaded with his parents to allow Clint to move in with them until they finished high school. Think of it this way, Vern argued, I'll have someone else here to keep me occupied. And with that, Clint became Vern's roommate. From that day forward, they became more and more reliant on one another for the camaraderie they both craved. While they ate their fruitios at the counter in the kitchenette one morning, Clint learned that his friend wasn't as happy with his cushy life as he presumed. The kid had the entire finished basement to himself, he noted. Bedroom, bathroom, kitchenette and sitting area. Even got an allowance for merely living, for goodness sake. But Vern said he would rather his parents pay him some attention rather than give him cash. He claimed that they only showed interest in his accomplishments and achievements when they pertained to academics. Vern said he felt more like another item on their to-do list than part of a family. It was Clint's turn to confide something to Vern. He'd been having a recurring nightmare about his mother since her death. I'm at my mother's funeral, he starts, watching her coffin being lowered into a grave at All Saints Cemetery. I want to scream, she has another life, but I can't speak or move because I'm a statue. When everyone leaves, a dump truck comes along, unloads a mountain of dirt into the hole and rolls on top of a grave, packing and sealing the earth underneath it. I start to rock back and forth, hoping to tip myself over and shatter the plaster that's inhibiting me from speaking out. At that point, I wake up. Sometimes I'll roll right off the futon. I feel anxious, thinking that my mother is in her grave, panicking because she's trapped with no way out. What do you think it means? I think dreams are a symptom of stress and anxiety, answered Vern. Definitely not premonitions and warnings. Vern swiveled on his stool to look at Clint, who was staring into his empty bowl. He slapped his friend lightly on the back. Hey buddy, extra lives only happen in video games. And maybe cats. Definitely not real people. That day, the boys spent most of their time at the community pool. They had lunch at the nearby Tiki Hut with some kids they knew from school. Afterwards, the group returned to the pool area to resume their kickboard relay races. Clint suggested they wait 20 minutes before getting in the water. My mother said you'll get cramps, he said. The kids laughed. Matt pinched his nose. 10 minutes, he cried, and then he did a cannonball, holding his took knees with one arm. 30 minutes, bellowed Tina right before performing her forward dive. The twins jumped and yelled in tandem. An hour. Vern stood next to his friend. Clint was troubled. His mother would never lie to him, right? The next morning, the boys once more sat on stools at the counter in the little kitchenette eating their fruitios. Vern again started the conversation. I fell on my head when I was five and went into a coma. Then one day, I woke up. Wow, so you think people do have more than one life? I don't think I was technically dead, Vern said. Are you still wondering about your mother? Maybe we should go dig her up. Silence hung in the air. Then Vern put down his spoon and slurped the milk from his bowl. He turned toward Clint, sitting to his left, and mocked. You were considering it, weren't you? Newsflash, when you're dead, you're dead, like forever, and your mother's dead. Clint had never felt so disrespected. How could someone he so admired and trusted be so insensitive? That was the moment he snapped. You are wrong, sir, Clint said in a chilling tone Vern never heard from him before. Then Clint swiveled on his stool. He grabbed Vern by the throat and squeezed. 
Vern clamped onto Clint's wrists. He pulled, but he might as well have been trying to stretch steel bars. He had no time to take a deep breath before the crushing force of Clint's thumbs on his windpipe cut off his air and he was weak. Calm down. You're going to die, but I won't let anyone bury your body. I'll make sure you get to live your second life. You'll be alive and kicking before you know it. And Clint watched the sparkle fade from Vern's eyes. Vern's head lulled forward and Clint loosened his hold on Vern's neck. He rotated the stool Vern was sitting on and the cadaver slumped over the empty cereal bowl on the counter. Clint hopped off his seat and pushed it neatly under the ledge. He gripped his friend's shoulders and pulled him upright, releasing one hand to gather the bowls and spoons and lay them in the sink. He spun Vern around 90 degrees so that they were face to face and slipped his arms under Vern's, then slid the corpse off of the stool. He walked backwards, dragging the body's flaccid bare feet along the nylon carpeting. He lay the body on the futon under the stairs and kneeled by his side, praying that he'd wake up soon. If anyone would have discovered Vern in this condition, they would simply bury his body, or worse yet, burn it until it no longer existed. It disgusted him to think of how many people were buried and came back to life underground only to die again because they couldn't get out. Who knows how many times? For the first time, Clint noticed the malformation on Vern's collarbone. Maybe Vern broke it when he fell on his head when he was five? And at that moment, a light bulb lit in Clint's mind. If Vern had lost a life that day nine or ten years ago, how many lives did he have left? Panic and remorse flooded through Clint and his eyes filled with tears. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Other Stories. The Wrong Impression was written by Carolyn O'Brien, narrated by Manny Real Guy, Edited by Carl Hughes of music by Sferia and Tom Robson. And sound effects provided by freesound.org. The episode illustration was provided by Luke Spooner of Carry On House. A quick thanks to our community managers, Joshua Boucher and Jasmine Arch, and Carolyn O'Brien for helping with our submission reading. And of course to Ben Errington for his daily content pirouettes and pilets he performs every day at the social media ballet. Manny Real Guy was and will be forged in the centre of a supernova 10,000 years from now, riding the cosmic waves and feasting on dying planets and shitting out stars. Carolyn O'Brien would like you to know that she is a member of the Facebook group. As I mentioned, it's a cool place on the internet to kick your feet up and watch some horror movies, play around with some fun flash fiction competitions and meet a whole bunch of cool people excellent mutants, vampires, werewolves and wizards and witches and just some general horror-loving wholesome folks all of whom are attractive of the inner and outer variety and you can be one of those people over at the Hawk and Cleaver Facebook group so come join us over at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Hawk and Cleaver The Other Stories is a production of the story studio Hawk and Cleaver and is brought to you with a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial no derivatives license that means don't change it Don't sell it, but by all means, share the hell out of it. Until next time. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.